Hello, and welcome to Are You Going to Eat Your Fat? This podcast is a resource dedicated to those struggling with eating disorders. If you are struggling with an eating disorder or know someone who is, maybe a brother, sister, daughter, wife, we want to be here to provide resources and offer hope. I am Dina Lewis, and I'm here with my husband, co-host, Brian Lewis. We are not doctors, but we do come with more than 20 years history in dealing with eating disorders. Whether you found us on purpose or by mistake, whatever the case, we hope by the end of this episode, you have learned something, or at least if you are struggling, you do not feel alone. Hi there, and welcome to Are You Gonna Eat Your Fat? I'm Dina. And today in this episode, I was gonna talk to you guys a little bit about perfectionism as well as comparison. I'm quite the perfectionist. For me, when I was in school, if I was given an assignment on the first day of school for like a paper later on in the semester, I would have started it from the first day on. I like having all my ducks in a row. I don't think it had everything to do with the eating disorder at times, but there were times where if I didn't have everything I wanted done in a day, it would give me a lot of anxiety. And still to this point, there's times where the unexpected happens and kids have to be picked up and different things have to be done. So I like to have the same routine every single day. That keeps me the most comfortable. And if I can't get that done, then I feel somewhat of a failure. Usually I can. I've always set my expectations very high for myself. When we were first newly married, when Brian used to go to work, and that was probably the height of my eating disorder, there were days I would tell myself, I cannot sit down between 8 and 5. If Brian has to work from 8 to 5, I have to do that as well. So I would be very difficult on myself and my body, and I wouldn't allow myself to sit down until he got home. Why did I do that? I'm not sure. But I had a lot of rigid rules for myself. I exercised very compulsively. I would wake up probably around 4, 4.30 a.m. and do some exercise, then I'd always go outside for a walk, and it didn't matter if it was raining or snowing or what the weather was, I was out there. I'd probably give myself a little bit of time off, but for most days, I would do that. There was an instance that somebody had called our apartment and left a message saying my mom had to go to the emergency room. Well, that was the time I had to go for a walk, and it's not that I didn't care about my mom, but It was what Dina wanted and what Dina needed at the time. And so I went for that walk and then I went to the hospital to see her. I'm not proud of that moment, but that's the truth of what I did. I looked up the dictionary definition and it says, for perfectionism, refusal to accept any standard short of perfection. It is a personality trait characterized by a tendency to set extremely high, rigid, and flawless goals and place excessive demands on oneself and others. I don't know that I placed it on other people, but if I couldn't achieve what I needed to achieve in a day, then my mood would show. Then I would get cranky and probably pissed off, and people knew something was up. You know, perfectionism and eating disorders is a really complex battle. Perfectionism is never attainable, and I think we all want to have a perfect recovery. That's not even attainable. I mean, I'm grateful that I've had a really long, steady recovery, but initially it wasn't always that way. 
there were times that I would go into a restaurant while still in treatment and I would restrict. And sometimes it was intentional and sometimes it wasn't intentional and I realized after the fact. But I think the biggest part or the learning curve there was being able to recognize when I had made a mistake. And rather than just hiding it and going into old behavior of lying and keeping the secret, because that rat race of trying to be ahead of everyone and thinking of, you know, what you're going to say and react to what everybody's going to say to you is a lot of work. It's draining. It's exhausting. I remember driving in the car with my mom when I was not well, and I knew she was going to bring something up. So I constantly had to keep the conversation going. And, you know, that was really hard to do. Sometimes even perfectionism is accompanied by depression and anxiety. Just today, I was having extreme anxiety today. I mean, it is the Christmas season, and it's really difficult to, well, I want to do everything, but I know I can't. And so here I am trying to wrap Christmas presents and purchase all the things, items for the family and you have dinner ready and the kids are home. And, and that's another thing is we live somewhere that just had a tornado. And so now everything's different. The kids aren't in school. Now they're home with me. And not that I can't handle it. It's just one more thing that you, you can't get as much done. Perfectionism like impacts your self-esteem. There's times I have self-esteem that is great and I feel really great about myself. And there's other times I go into a really dark place. And it, sometimes it takes me a couple days to get out. And sometimes I'm not even sure what that thing is that it's bringing me down so much. Sometimes it can be family. You know, I'm away from my immediate family and I don't hear from them often. And sometimes I can take that as would they even care if I was even on the planet? I know everybody gets busy, but it's hard for me because I always seem like I want something I can't have. And I'll explain that. When my mom died and my parents died, it was just my brothers and I, and there's a big age gap there, and I always want to have this close relationship with them. If I don't call, then they usually don't call me. I've had to learn I can't change who they are and what they are. I have to accept that. And at times I can. It's hard for me because I feel so alone. When we were at Brian's mom's funeral, we were in Utah. And at one point, like in 2004, we had moved to Utah because it was a place where family was there. And it just felt like a new beginning. California was so expensive. And so we had just moved into our house. And we, obviously, the Mormon church is there, and I'm not dishing the Mormon church, but they were right there and ready to help from the get-go. And it's exactly what I needed, and that's what I was searching for. I was searching for that sense of family. And so, of course, we joined the Mormon church, and we have other family members that are Mormon, and I think they embraced us at that time because we were in something that they cared about tremendously. And then... I can talk about it a little later when we broke out of the Mormon church, and I'll get more in depth later, but there were people that I thought were my best friends that said some of the cruelest things to us ever, and it really shocked me because 
I take that stuff very personally because it seems like either I share way too much about myself and then I scare people away, but that's who I am. I wear my heart on my sleeve and I share everything about myself. And sometimes I've had to hold back and, and not do that. We ended up leaving Utah because it became unbearable. I'll give you an example. Like our kids were really little then and and we would come out of our house and we'd open up the garage and we'd have people standing at the ends of our driveway asking us why we were leaving. You know, you're going to go to hell. You're going to look up at us one day. It was a lot to take on at that time. And I was having really big issues about like God hates me and it still hurts to know that is it something I did? I'll take full responsibility on that. I mean, I know intentionally it's not me, but I'm my hardest critic, and I just, I want to make people happy. Just before my mother-in-law died, she was being really mean to me on the phone, and I was trying to do everything I could possibly do from afar to help her. And to know that, you know, she hated me right up until the end. And then we get to her funeral and we were still there and doing what we had to do to help out. And there was a lot of recognition for one individual. And I've had to learn that I have to recognize what I've done if somebody else doesn't recognize it. But the impact on that is difficult. I think it's important to identify especially now during the holidays, like the cycle that you're going through, identifying like what triggers you. And if that means you can't go to a certain party, then that means you can't go to a certain party, but maybe have a good friend come over and be with you. Don't be alone during that time, but you don't need to be in a crowd of people that is going to make you go backwards or feel less than yourself. But Maybe it's those big gatherings that trigger you. Maybe it's just the food talk alone. Maybe it's being with people that just don't support you and understand you. And that's a big thing because it's not just about you. You're not the disease and it's not your fault. Hear me, that is not your fault. It's not your parents' fault. It's not your fault. It's a disease, just like cancer is and anything else is. You know, sometimes it's really conflicting because... Yes. Did I know I was sick? Absolutely. Did I feel terrible? Yes. Did I know I was getting close to death? Absolutely. But the thought of seeking treatment and changing and giving somebody else that power was more terrifying at the time. I was scared to die. I was waking up with Charlie horses at night. I used to put my hand on my heart and just sometimes I'd be like, can I hear a heartbeat? There are so many times I would go to bed at night and think I'm not going to wake up the next morning. There's just not possible. And I would. And then when the day the light would appear, I'd go right into the disease again. And then the night would come again and I'd get scared. And then the day would come and I'd go right back into that rigid pattern. I know it's comfortable. I'll say for myself, I know it's comfortable for me to have the comfortable foods and do the comfortable things and stay with a routine. But sometimes I think going and doing the opposite of that and knowing like, oh, wait, I didn't die. <laughs> I'm still here. I'm not fat. I'm not whatever. Just from having this one meal, it's one meal. Later in treatment, when a 
a new girl or a patient would come in, I'll speak for myself, I would automatically look and say, okay, is she skinnier than me? Is she, does she look worse than me? Does she look prettier than me? There was a big comparison there between what someone else looked like and I look like. You give that scan, like it's looking up and down, like, oh, I have bigger thighs than she, or, I, you know, whatever it was. We had to be careful, too, because everybody was on a different food plan. And, you know, like, well, she's eating this, and I only have this, and now they've upped my starch or my protein, and, you know, I'm just going to get fat. Those are all the real feelings, and that's why a lot of the time we weren't able to have food talk. That's their food, and that's not your business. You stay out of it. And I've had to learn that at home, too, especially watching my kids eat and stuff like that. And you're just seeing like Captain Crunch and donuts for lunch or something like that. But, you know, that's them. You got to stay out of that. And you can tell your family that, too. I have a food plan. I'm working with a nutritionist. You know, thank you. But this is has nothing to do with you at this point. I hope you guys all know that I do care about each and one of you and that I hope by doing these episodes that you can really hear that recovery is possible. It's not going to be a perfect recovery. And even to the parents out there, I know that it must scare you to think like you put your kid through treatment and then they come home and they relapse. That is part of it because, you know, it's real life. But if they have the tools that they need that they've learned in treatment, and that you guys as parents and as caregivers, I really extremely advise that you go to some of the meetings or something and so that you know what those tools are so that you can remind them and be there for them to support them through it. They're scared. They may not look scared, but they're scared. And I know that you guys are scared too. And I, I know my mom was extremely scared just because she was a nurse and she knew what was going on. I guess I've always need the affirmations of others. I don't need everybody to tell me I'm beautiful and stuff like that. But it's always been nice to hear that they've recognized what I've done. And, you know, like I said before, with the funeral and stuff of my mother-in-law, I've had to learn how to give myself those affirmations and not always having to get them from other people. I am my hardest critic, and I still can be very, very difficult for myself. Instead of asking for help, I will just push through until I'm exhausted. The negative talk comes in. The voices come in. I still have those voices that come in. They're not necessarily about food anymore, but they're more like, I guess you're not enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're stupid. And a lot of those voices came from when I was younger and being bullied around, but they still, they're there. If I'm not careful, I can go down a rabbit hole and have to pull myself out. I mean, my husband is my biggest supporter, and I couldn't do it without him. And I want to be that to you guys, and I want you to know that I hope we're helping one person out there or one family out there. And I just want to say thanks for listening, and remember that we have a Patreon as well as I have a Facebook page. It's called Are You Going to Eat Your Fat? And I have a couple women on that. And then eatthatfat at gmail.com. If you want to make comments, please let us know what you guys want to hear more from us so that we can help you even more. I will close with serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change 
the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, so work it. You are worth it. Don't forget, you guys, you don't have to be perfect, but have a great holiday. Bye. Thank you for joining us. If you found this podcast useful or we have given you hope and you want to reach out and contribute, feel free to do so at eatthatfat at gmail.com. That's eatthatfat at gmail.com. Our pledge to you is that every penny that we get in contributions goes to production costs and keeping the lights on. We will not pay ourselves, but anything above and beyond production costs will go to benefit organizations that specialize in eating disorders. Please reach out to us if you need resources or you just need to talk. You are not alone and there are people who care. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, so work it. You are worth it.